I invite you to turn in God's Word this morning with me to Genesis 28. Just talked about the coming of the Spirit and His strength. We battle in His strength. We fight temptation. And that is the need for God to come near. And we're going to see how God does that. Even in the Old Testament, before the actual pouring out of the Holy Spirit, we see God... uh, coming near to Jacob and promising to bless him. Blessing's been given to Jacob, but now he's leaving the land which was spoken of in the blessing. It seems a little counterintuitive, a little uh, opposite of what we might think. And so we want to hear how God comes near to him uh, in this time and how he does the same in our lives today. Listen into the reading of God's word. Genesis 28, starting in verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder, a staircase set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Behold, the Lord stood above it, or stood beside him, could be translated, and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land in which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar, pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel or Bethel, house of God. But the name of the city was Luz at, first, at the first. And then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace... Then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will give a tenth to you. This is the word of God. May he add his blessing to the reading and proclamation of it this morning. Dear congregation, loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to think about what's happening here. Jacob is leaving his home, and he has nothing. He has no companion. He's got no extras. Think of that in contrast to Abraham's servant when he sent his servant off to find a wife for his son Isaac. Sent him with a bunch of camels and a bunch of servants. Here we have the opposite. Jacob sent off with nothing. How do you think he was feeling? How do you think he was, what do you think he was thinking about as he, as he went forth from his home? After traveling for about 50 miles, he stopped for the night to sleep under the stars and 
He certainly must have felt lonely and unsure about the future. Esau was ready to kill him, and he was going to a place that he did not know, and he did not know how he would be received. He probably wondered if he would ever get home again to see his mother and father. You see, it wasn't like it is today where you can just make these quick trips. Children, when you go on vacation, it's kind of fun, isn't it? Mom and dad take care of them, hotel, motel, whatever it is, and they get you a place with a pool and free breakfast, and it's kind of fun to travel. Not so with Jacob. Jacob is laying on the ground, and he has a stone for a pillow. And he's left his family, and his brother hates him, wants to murder him. It's a bit frightening. Well, he finally falls asleep and begins to dream, and he sees a ladder or staircase. It's not clear how to translate this, this uh, uh, word here. It's the only time it appears in the Old Testament in the Hebrew. But it, it's, I'll explain why staircase, I think, is, is, is preferent, uh, preferable in just a moment. The staircase reaches to the heavens. Have you heard that before? Uh, something reaching to the heavens? Is that, does that ring any bells? The Tower of Babel, right? They wanted to make a tower that reached to the heavens. And it, it has a similar description here as that description in Genesis 11, where we see this tower that the people want to build to, to the heavens to make a name for themselves. And here we read that the staircase reached the heavens, and the Lord came down. I think the the preposition can be translated either stood above it or stood beside him, the phrase with the preposition. And I I think given what we see in this text, we, we should understand it as God coming down and coming beside him to speak to him. And he says to Jacob that basically you're not alone. I'm with you. You've had to leave your home. You've had to leave uh, what you had. And I am reassuring you of my presence. As we saw last week, that's really the blessing, isn't it? It's not all the material that God gives us, all the things that God gives, but rather that we are near to him, that he is with us. What Jacob sees in his dream is a way open into heaven. has nothing to do with him Getting his way up to the up the ladder, J- Jacob climbing uh, uh, climbing up Jacob's ladder. You know the Bible song. It's it's more here. God coming down. No one can climb up to heaven. Jacob certainly couldn't gain the blessing through deception. In fact, he's being sent away from the blessing to show that he has nothing apart from God. Yet here, God opens the heavens to Jacob and says, "I am near." I am near to you in spite of what you have done. Jacob sees the angels giving witness to God's reaffirmation of the promise. They're ascending and they're descending. It's a stunning sight, but the most stunning thing about it is that God reaffirms his promise to Jacob in verses 13 to 15. Why? Well, because Jacob had plotted, he'd deceived his brother to gain blessing. He's being sent away. He's thinking, well, I guess that's the end of that. I, I, Dad's sending me away. Mom thinks I'm going to come back, but I, I don't know what's going to happen here. Would God still show me favor, he's thinking to himself. And we see that the answer is yes. As he goes away, God comes to him. I want us to think back as, the, as we've looked at 
uh, the Gospel of Luke many, for, for many months. And what we saw there is that Jesus comes and he comes near to save, to seek and to save the lost. And here we have an Old Testament picture of that, how God comes down to those who are lost, to those who are in sin. And he says, I am with you. Remember how Jesus entered time and space to show that he and the Father were for sinners. Then Jesus is caught up into heaven, but not before he says, I will not leave you orphans. I will not leave you alone. Behold, I go to the Father, and when I go, there I will send the Spirit to you. And we, my Father and I, will dwell in you. And he says, where I am going, you indeed will one day come, for I am preparing a place for you there. That's so comforting for the disciples when they see Jesus leaving, wondering what's going to happen. But it's so comforting for us today when we have things that bother us and and make us afraid that God says, I am near to you. I am actually dwelling in you by my spirit. And I will hear you when you call. As we reflect on Pentecost today, we remember the coming of the Holy Spirit, the Lord coming to us, the Father and the Son dwelling in us by the Spirit, their Spirit. We think of these uh, about Jesus, uh, Jacob and these words that God speaks to him, and we remember that God is with him, God is with us. How? In Christ. And through Christ, we hear of promise of peace and place and a future which is what Jacob heard about, peace, place, and a future. Babel, to go back to that picture, was a picture of judgment upon man's plans to try to build a tower to the heaven, to make a name for themselves. Such a thing could never happen. God says you cannot make a name for yourself. You cannot create a utopia. No matter how many people you get together, and we need to hear that today when it seems the, the nations want to gather together and say, we're going to throw off all that, we, all, all that we've lived, all that we know, and, and just do it our own way. God says no. But then Pentecost, what is that? Well, the, many have noted that that is a reversal of Babel, where the languages were confused and the people were spread out. At Pentecost, the Spirit comes, and through the Spirit, the people understand the gospel in their own languages, God bringing the nations together, that they might hear the good news and be saved. That is a reminder to us of God's nearness. And this morning, Jacob sees that he's alone, but he's not, yet not alone. Well, maybe sometimes you feel Alone, like Jacob, maybe failures or things just aren't turning out the way you had hoped. And so you wonder, does God still love me? Does, he, does, he, does his promise still hold for me? This is where we then must look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, we're blessed to live in this period of history. I've said it before, I'll say it again, that, that we know God's plan. Jacob didn't know the fullness of God's revelation. Abraham, with all, in spite of all of the words that they heard, they were walking by faith. We too walk by faith, but we have seen how God has opened the way to heaven through his son, Jesus Christ. 
the promise sealed by his blood that we will remember next Lord's Day as we come to celebrate Lord's Supper, looking to Christ, not to the weakness or the strength of our faith, not to what we've done or failed to do, building our confidence or causing us to fear, but looking to Christ, who is our anchor behind the veil, as the writer of Hebrews says, the one who is that lamb whose blood was shed for the complete forgiveness of our sins. Here, to Jacob, the deceiver, don't forget, God makes his commitment. He says, I am not going to leave you. I will not forsake you. All my promises to you will come to pass, for I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go. Here, before the incarnation, before Pentecost, we see God with us. And in the coming of Christ, we see it even more clearly. The coming of the Spirit, after the Son goes into heaven, God is in us. We're temples of the Holy Spirit, called to live for him, to speak of new life in him. It's God's commitment to us, and he shows his faithfulness as his word unfolds before us. James Boyce, in his commentary, notes that each element, and we want to look now at the blessing to Jacob, he notes that each element in the blessing to Jacob corresponds to a particular need that Jacob has. And I want us to make some applications for our own life, our own lives here this morning. Share his points with you. First, the most obvious element is the revelation of God's presence with Jacob. God says, I am the Lord. I am with you. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. This ministered to Jacob's sense of being alone, desperately alone. Brothers and sisters, we don't want to forget these promises when we feel alone, that God is near, that he hears us and answers us when we call upon him. Maybe there's a situation in your life just this past week where you've done something that has caused you to fear, or maybe your plans aren't working out and you think that maybe God isn't near. Maybe God isn't present. We want to remember that God is near. He meets us where we are. I was thinking of all the times where where the scriptures talk about people who feel alone. And it's rather surprising. We can even feel alone in a crowd. I was thinking about Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19 this week as Zacchaeus knew his life was not right. He wanted to change. He had heard about this, this teacher, this rabbi named Jesus, and he wanted, to, he wanted to, to, to meet him, but he knew he couldn't get near because he was religious and Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And what do we see? Zacchaeus constantly trying to see through the crowd, someone who, who couldn't, wasn't tall enough to see over the people. He climbs a tree. Jesus comes to him and says, come down. Meets him right where he is. He says, come down. I want, I want to be with you. I want to fellowship with you. I want to have a meal with you. And Zacchaeus, who was alone or felt alone, even in a crowd, was declared to be the son, a son of Abraham, son of the inheritance. Don't assume that God won't forgive. Call out to him when you feel alone. Jacob was deep in sin, having deceived so many, but God came near. I like A.W. Pink's quote. He says this. He writes this. Right down to where the fugitive lay, the ladder came. And right up to God himself, the ladder reached. 
Jacob's a fugitive from justice, right? He should have been cursed because of his deception, and yet he is not there. And the ladder comes down to him there. And the ladder then also points him, the staircase also points him to to God. God comes near in his loneliness. A second element of God's blessing of Jacob is the reiterated promise of the land. The promise addressed, this promise addressed his poverty. Just the day before, he had his father's flocks, he had the, the, the blessing, he had all of it. He had all that he needed. And now he's got nothing. He leaves to Haran and he's got nothing. Nobody with him, no servants, no animals. He's impoverished. Well, sin can wipe out everything but God can restore. The Lord promised Jacob that he would restore him. He had not gained true blessing by sin, and he would not gain it fully at that very moment. But God assured him that he would bring him into his presence, that which is true blessing indeed, as we saw last week. One day we'll be in his presence, in the place that he's made for us, to be with him. Scriptures speak of it as a glorious city. We'll look at that briefly tonight in Psalm 48 in our psalm selection. The city of God and the beauty of it. God makes us, or renews us rather, and brings us into his glorious city. And remember how Jesus says, those who are blessed, those who are blessed, who will receive the land. What does he say in Matthew chapter 5? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the, those who are successful in, in deceiving or, or are just ambitious or, or who have the right connections. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Nearness to God is not gained by human endeavor. We're promised that God who sees our poverty will come to us and bring us to himself. A God who is a God of abundance The blessing that he has for us is beyond all that we can imagine. He comes to us in our poverty. Thirdly, Jacob had a third problem. Not only was he alone and impoverished, he was also dishonored. He was fleeing in disgrace. Jacob, or God says to Jacob, I love you. My mind is not changed towards you. Through you, a blessing will come. In the midst of his dishonor, in the midst of his disgrace, God says this to him. James Boyce says this, this was a great promise because it demonstrated that however badly we may have acted in the past and however ashamed we may be by it, God is always able to begin with us where we are and use us and point us in the right direction, use us as a channel for blessing in the lives of others. So the question is, are you, are you ashamed of your past? Are you ashamed of things you've done? Like me, you think, oh, I'm glad that's in the past. I'm glad God has saved me from that and turned me away from that. Is that you? God can meet you right where you are. Taking you out of your shame. Again, James Boyce, God is able to start over with you right where you are. Nothing is too hard for God. Confess the sin that troubles you. Allow God to forgive and cleanse it and then go whatever direction he sets before you. Tim Keller used to say, cheer up. 
You're a worse sinner than you ever dared imagine. Uh Uh-huh. Well, then he goes on. But you're more loved than you ever dared hope. God meets us in our disgrace. Fourth, final element of God's blessing that fit with Jacob's need was God's commitment to bring Jacob back to the land. He says, I will watch over you wherever you go and bring you back to this place. Again, James Boyce, this ministered to Jacob's fear of what the future might hold. Jacob had cause to be afraid. He had a brother who wanted to murder him. He had an unknown future. The Lord said to him, wherever you go, I will bring you back. And we hear this and we say to ourselves, does the future frighten me? Does the, the state of this nation and the direction it's going, does that scare me? What, do, am I afraid of what, what's coming, what, what I might lose? God says, don't be afraid. I'm with you. And I will bring you to myself. And I have a place for you. A promise, a place, a future. God is watching over us. Well, now we come to the most intriguing or challenging part of this passage in Jacob's covenant with God. I almost wanted to make this a second sermon, but I said we'd keep moving through Genesis, so we're going to just hit the low lights. They're not really highlights. When Jacob wakes up from his dream, he realized that the Lord was present there, and his response is, it's rather strange. We could, we could almost say it's, it's weak, it's, it's immature. Verse 20, he says, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Well, the commentators are all over the map on this one. The the Hebrew doesn't really... uh, Tell us how to interpret it. Some will say, well, the if means since God is with me, th- uh, then I will. But it, the, the since then doesn't sound right. It's, it's more of a condition. If God does this for me, then. It's rather bold, don't you think, to tell God, I will make you my God if you meet my standard? Think of Isaiah before the Lord. When he sees the Lord high and lifted up, what does he do? Falls on his face and he says, I'm unclean. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell among an unclean people. And Jacob's there making a deal. (laughs) Sounds very odd. Oh, he's afraid, verse 17. I, I didn't miss that in the text. I, I trust you saw that there too. But he's, he, what he's surprised by is that the Lord's in this place here. This, this, why, would he, why would he be here? He doesn't say, he's not afraid the Lord is there. It's just that he's, he's surprised, he's afraid, he's right here. He thought, well, I kind of caught me off guard. Why do I say it that way? Because he doesn't confess his sin. He simply says, wow, this, this is a special place. I'm going to name it the house of God. But what we don't hear from Jacob is repentance. Lord, I am so thankful that you are with me in spite of what I, all that I've done. We don't hear that. Rather, he makes a condition with God. 
sets terms with God. It's almost like this is kind of his pattern. He's, he's made terms with Esau to get the birthright. Now he's thinking, well, if I did that with Esau and got the birthright, maybe if I say to, to, to the Lord, well, you do these things and then I'll have you for my God. That, that almost seems like that's how he operates, but this is not Esau he's talking to. Throughout the Bible, when a covenant is being made, it's the greater party in the covenant who sets the conditions, not the lesser party. And Jacob's acting as though he was the greater party. Yes, he recognizes the need to respond to God. That's good. I mean, if we don't respond to God, then we really are blind. The scripture says we need to respond. When God speaks, we ought to respond. Well, at least he, he, he has that right, but, but he, he then goes on to set the terms. We don't set terms. We respond with a humble faith, trusting God's ways for us. And notice how the vow is, is made. It's a lot of first-person singular. I, me. It's all about Jacob. The vow come, becomes about him. I will choose for God. I will build a place for God. I will give a tenth to God if. This is by far the most stunning thing we've seen so far. There's angels ascending and descending. God is there. But that Jacob would speak like this, I would submit, is the most stunning thing of the passage. This is not how a relationship with God works. Certainly, we must respond to God, but not in this way. We don't say, well, if you do what you promise, then you shall be my God. We don't make a place, or we, we don't make the Lord our God. He is the Lord. He isn't waiting for us to bow down to him in order to become Lord over a people. He is Lord over all people. And furthermore, we don't make a place for God suitable to house his glory. I'll make this stone your house, Jacob says. Rather, as Boyce would put it, inadequate is the word I think he uses for Jacob's response. Inadequate. And then how inadequate is his response. Lord, if you do this, you ready? I'm going to give you a whole tenth of everything that I have. Wow, a tenth. Really? Isn't that going to put you out? It's almost as he's saying, the more you bless me, the more you get. But it's only a, it, it's, it's a portion. Now, I, now you say, well, now wait a minute, Pastor, the tithe. The tithe has not yet been instituted at this point. The, the tithe is not in, in the vocabulary of the Old Testament saints. This is Jacob saying, this is what, this is what I think is, is, is reasonable. I'll give you a tenth. Now, granted, he has nothing at this point. Okay, we, You see how this can really expand if you think more about it? But he has nothing. But, but, but to say to the Lord, if the more you bless me, I'll give you a tenth is really quite something. God doesn't need anything from us, but he wants everything from us. All of us, not just a portion, not just Sunday worship, but all of life worship. We don't serve him for material blessing. We don't set a limit on how much we will give. Yes, the tithe has been shown through Scripture later on. But that's, that, that's, that's the bare minimum, and we don't want to be legalistic about that. Well, if I give 9.99%, because I don't want to go over in case I don't want to overdo it, that would probably be sinning. That'd be excessive. Rather than saying, well, I'm going to give a, a tithe and beyond because I've been blessed richly, and, and the Lord, I know the Lord will be gracious. 
But here Jacob says, I'll give you a tenth of all, of all that you give me. Well, the story continues, and we will learn more about Jacob. But I hope that as we look at this record of, our, of the patriarch Jacob, we might learn something about ourselves, of how God meets us right where we have our need, of how God provides, and of how God is the one who sets the terms of the covenant, the one who satisfies and reconciles us to himself through his son, such that we are rich beyond measure. Rich beyond measure to be giving our lives to him. His love is amazing. He comes down. He comes near. He provides all that we need. He keeps his promises. We don't want to take that grace for granted. But we want to live our lives fully for him. Whether we seem like we're walking away from the blessing, wherever we are, we must be walking with God and then we know and if we know that he's where we are, then we certainly might will have peace. We'll be confident of a place and know that there's a certain future for us. Well, let's pray to God. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, you have all things. You need nothing from us. That you call us to, to live for you. To give ourselves fully where we can help others, where you have used us as the, where we are the means to help others, help us to be uh, ready to do that. Just to see how you've given us all that we need in Christ, that we are truly rich. Give us humble hearts that make no conditions upon you but rather serve faithfully, lovingly. And may we be filled with gratitude. Oh Lord, we thank you for meeting us where we are, for being with us in whatever we're going through, that we know we're not lonely, though we might feel impoverished, that we might feel ashamed, that we might feel like we're walking away from something that we thought was permanent, Yet you are there. You are the only thing that is permanent. We thank you for being with us and renewing us day by day. Continue to do that, we pray. Lead us by your spirit to be grateful and thankful. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.